With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the podcast to be named later. I am Noah Hiles. He is Alex Stump. And Alex, we are joined on the show for uh, with a guest. We've this, I think this is the first time we've done a three-person show. We've had guests on before. We've done interviews. Uh, but on this show, it's always been on days where one of us was out or something along those lines. So welcome uh, on the show here is Max Hers. Is that it? Or Hers? Yes, sir. All right. Just wanted to make sure I get that. I, I always butcher last names. It's it's a horrible flaw to have in our field, but it is what it is. So Max joins the show. And Max, uh, going through your bio here, first things first, you look at his Twitter account. Last thing that he has on there, it's most important, he's a Pittsburgh guy from Squirrel Hill. Uh, but he has approximately been in Vanderbilt in Tennessee for the last uh, 80 years, it seems, just covering everything and anything, uh, mainly Vanderbilt baseball. And if you can't gather what we're getting at, this is going to be a very heavy first overall pick theme show. And Max, a guy who calls the non-section games, does some sideline reporting and everything else, knows this team very well. And he's going to give us some information on Kumar Rocker and maybe a couple other guys as well. Max, how's it going? It's great to see you guys. I thought we were going to talk about uh, Carson Fulmer's waiver wire and offseason program, but that's okay too. Yeah, you know that was that was we'll, we'll something that. that was on the list. Yeah, that's that's another episode, maybe even a whole week of content. But again, I think Kumar probably the top priority right now. Fulmer on Reynolds on anybody. So yeah, all right, awesome. So first things first, uh, give us a little background info on you. How did you get involved with Vanderbilt? Uh, what made you want to go there and everything? And what's it like covering the team? So Vanderbilt, pretty much plain and simple, was by far the best school I could get into. Um, I was probably one of the less intelligent and definitely one of the less academically motivated people here uh, for a lot of my time as a student. But it, it was a school that met all my criteria, which was I wanted to be in a big city. I wanted a place with D1 sports. I applied early decision, which triples your chances of getting in. That's the only reason I got in. And I got in. Uh, my second choice was Pitt. I would have been at Pitt if I was not at Bandy, and I got into sports media pretty quickly here. If I known I was going to want to get into broadcasting, I probably would have chosen to go somewhere else. There's no journalism program here. There's no broadcast program here, but there is the SEC network, which came into existence at the start of my sophomore year in the summer and fall of 2014. So I got involved in a lot of different areas with that, within the athletic department, with student radio, and things just kept kind of building, and here I am. Three and a half years after graduating, seven years after showing up for the first time, still here, uh, working in the media market, doing a lot of things, and Vanderbilt baseball focus, what most people know me for, and it's the thing I enjoy the most. So I'm, I'm glad it's intersected with Pittsburgh and specifically the Pirates in so many ways. 
Yeah, I mean, the Pirates currently have one of their better players is Brian Reynolds, a Vanderbilt grad, uh, former Pirates like Pedro Alvarez, obviously a Vanderbilt guy, and some future Pirates as well. And uh, it's not a bad program to build a pipeline through. Uh, during your time there, Vanderbilt's been very successful, as you told us before the show, and a simple Google shirt search would also show three appearances in the World Series, two championships, uh, including la- they won it in 2019, correct? Yes, sir. Still yeah, defending. So defending. Yeah, it's theirs until someone takes it. So, you know, 2020 also. There, it, no one took it from them. So the guy we really want to talk to you about, Max, is Kumar Rocker. Uh, first things first, we had like a who's on first type of debacle before we started recording on how we say his first name. Is it Kumar? Is it or, or more like stepbrothers where they're, it's like Pam, Pamina. Uh, but so could you say his name that way? Uh us, us, us people who still wouldn't have got into Vanderbilt if we applied early. Uh, how would we say it? I know, and the Yinzers butcher everything too, yes. don't they? So, Kumar yeah. Rocker. Yeah. My favorite Yinzer names to hear recently have been Keone Kella and uh, <laughs> the comparison between Kella and Mitch Keller, who sound the same in Pittsburghese, but yeah. are very different. So the way I say his name is Kumar Rocker with the accent on the second syllable. That is approximately how he says it. It's been kind of, I guess, southernized as Kumar. And that is how the majority of the coaches and the players will say it. And I don't think he cares too much which way it goes. But I say Kumar. That's how he told me it was said the first time I met him when I specifically asked. And that is the correct Indian origin ethnic pronunciation. His mom is Indian American. Kumar means prince it's a very common first name for indian boys and men his father tracy rocker very well-known football player and now football coach is african-american his mom is indian-american and he's very proud of both sides of his heritage but the way i have always said it is kumar rocker but i don't think you'll anger him saying it anyway all right well i'm gonna give alex the podium now uh he's got about a million questions to ask about this guy so alex go ahead ask away yeah, we'll, we'll keep this, you know, at least in the realm of what Noah and I normally do for a segment, which ends up being like 45 minutes, it feels like sometimes. Uh, but <laughs> I guess the big thing is, or just a blunt question on it, the Pirates just endured the worst season out of anyone in baseball. And they get, the, and presumably to get this kid, is it worth it? Is he worth it? Yeah, absolutely. And I was saying at least as far back as the summer after the national championship, which was Rocker's freshman year, summer of last year, that for the first time in really ever in the modern MLB draft, the number one pick or the the current potential promising number one pick is so obvious, so far out that it could legitimately affect competitive balance in Major League Baseball the following season. Because you got to know like a year and a half in advance who you want in order to make baseball tanking worth it, just because of the timing of the draft, the order of the season before. And then with the weird season, of course, we didn't really know the order going to be based off of order of finish. I still don't think we know that for sure, but that seems most likely. But in a season like this where like it, it would be tough to finish in last place by more than three games, which is what the Pirates ended up doing. It was either three or four, I believe. Alex would know better than I with the Rangers in second to last. But in a season like that, like, it's hard to tank. It's hard to purposefully finish last, and it worked. But 
I, I would imagine they had better information about whether the draft order would stay true because if there were a lottery or if there was a combination of records from 19 and 20 and they end up somewhere between fifth and eighth, I don't think that's worth it because depending on what the strategy of the team looks like, they could have been the eighth seed in the NL. I mean, anyone could have been. So I think it's completely worth it. I think he's a franchise changer. I think he's, I mean, in some ways he's similar to Garrett Cole in terms of the promise he has. Cole was probably a little bit less obvious of a number one overall. That's how good Rocker is. But Cole also had a teammate who was pushing him for 1-1, who Rocker does too, and Jack Leiter. So I think it's kind of the same scenario. But yeah, I, I think it was totally worth it with where the Pirates are right now. I think they made the correct change um, in bringing in new on-field and front office coaching staff. I think one of those changes was way overdue, and that was the manager, in my opinion. You guys are there more than I am, but as someone who follows the team closely, um, I, I was glad for both of those changes, especially the Derek Shelton hire. And I mean, what else are you supposed to do with the team that those guys, especially Charrington, inherited? But I, I think they did the right thing. There's a lot of talk that his stuff is close to what it's going to be whenever he reaches the majors. There's not a whole lot of development for him to still have, particularly with the fastball and the slider. How much, I know you only saw him for, you know, a blip on the radar in 2020 before everything got shut down. But compared to where he was last year versus where he started his freshman year versus, let's just say, the the no-hitter game versus where he was in 2020, have you seen the stuff really improve? I think the no-hitter is a good place to start, but I also want to qualify that the no-hitter is very different from where he was at the beginning of his freshman year. So he got a weekend start, and the best three pitchers in the college format pitch on the weekends every week. He got a weekend start for his college debut, which doesn't really happen much for Vandy. It's happened a little bit in the last five years, but in the almost two decades that Tim Corbin has been the coach of the team, I think there have been four now, and they've all been in the last eight years. But it doesn't happen very much, and he was really bad. He couldn't locate. And then in his first conference start, he wasn't missing bats. I think his first, against Tennessee, his first 24 pitches that were swung at were all either put in play or fouled off, which is, I mean, a pretty rough way to get through a lineup. Everything was getting hit. And then you go to the no-hitter in the Super Regionals in the postseason in June. He's got 19 strikeouts. All 19 of them are swings and misses over sliders. So that, to me, shows the difference of how far he came within that season. And the big change was it was really only fastball and breaking ball the whole way for him. But he was tunneling the breaking ball much better off the fastball to seal the pitching ninja lingo. And the Duke hitters couldn't pick it up. And after the, after the Super Regional, which the no-hitter was in, I talked to Phil Clark, who was his catcher, just about catching that game. And he said he couldn't believe that they were still biting on it. Everybody got to see it three times, and two-thirds of the outs were still strikeouts. So that pitch, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere, but it became elite out of nowhere. And then last year, we saw those two together again. But then in one of the non-conference games, and we didn't get to conference season, he started throwing change-ups. And the change was working well, but it was against Illinois-Chicago. They didn't have any film on it. That ended up uh, being his final start that I saw. He had one more start on the road before the shutdown. But uh, that was all that he got to throw. And then this year, he has said, he just said this to MLB Pipeline a couple weeks ago as he's done some off-season interviews. 
He is working to add a cutter. So I think we could see a four-pitch mix this year, and if that works well, as long as he stays healthy, he's the easiest 1-1 in the book. Playing in the SEC, you see him go up against pretty much the best prospects in the country. I mean, that's, this is, that's the best baseball conference in America for college baseball. And uh, how did he stack up? I mean, you kind of gave us a, a really good synopsis of how he improved. But how did he stack up against not even guys that he might have faced or the teams that he was on might have faced? But, I mean, you've been covering Vanderbilt since 2015. You've seen a lot of dominant pitchers in college. How does he stack up against some of the best ones that you've seen? He was the best right from the get-go. That's the big thing. Um, his freshman year was better than current pirate Carson Fulmer's freshman year. Uh, Walker Bueller was kind of a late bloomer, so the comparison isn't really apt there. I was not here for David Price, which was uh, in the mid to late 2000s, but I think Price is probably the one that he would be most compared to just because of how much hype he came in with. But Vanderbilt has had some great pitchers. Kyle Wright is getting a start for the Braves in the division series. He's probably the most recent of that group. Jordan Sheffield was really, really good as a Friday night starter. But I think Rocker was the best right off the bat. And he kind of, he came in, he came in and close to his final physical form. He's slimming up a little bit, I think, which is on purpose. But he he was the most full, fully grown freshman pitcher out of that group, and he used it to his advantage really well. Can you compare him to a major league pitcher we see now, not named David Price? So I had somebody tell me Strasburg, which I thought was interesting, because obviously Strasburg is skinnier in his draft time significantly, coming yeah. to the Nats out of San Diego State and striking out, what, 15 Pirates, whatever it was, striking out Chris Steins and company. Yeah. Lasting's millage and a game that I still have to see highlights of constantly. Um, I think I could have struck out 10 of those guys, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But um, somebody told me Strasburg uh, and I buy it. I, I think just in terms of if command and confidence and whiff rate, that makes sense. I don't know. I'm not a good comp guy, but somebody told me Strasburg. I like that one. It's just tough because I try to think of physical build and that doesn't lead me to anybody like physical build makes me think Kenley Jansen, but I don't think he's that similar to Jansen. I also don't think he profiles as a reliever in any way, yeah. shape or form. So I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a comp guy. Unfortunately, I hate to let you down. Well, you're going to let us down one more time here before we go to the break, because there's uh, two pitchers in Vanderbilt who are considered to be top three and the parts, you know, there's some people who argue that maybe they should take, you know, lighter instead of uh, just real fast skinny on that guy and compare the two. So the biggest difference, well, there are a lot of differences, but Jack lighter is Al lighter's son. Um, he will be known for much more than that very soon, but the big difference in terms of like, just when it comes to the draft lighter is a year younger than rocker in school. So he will be eligible as a sophomore because he turns 21 years old before the draft, which Leiter did. And if you turn 21 within a month of the draft, you're eligible no matter how many years of college baseball you've played. Normally, you have to have played three years of college baseball, which is what Rocker will have done coming out after his junior year. And that's when most of the Vanderbilt players will go because you have leverage to get a bigger signing bonus because technically you could come back even though, to college, even though most people would do that, would sign no matter what. So lighter is a year younger. 
that means that we have not seen a full season of college baseball from him. He pitched in four games in 2020, and he was absolutely unbelievable. He pitched the home opener with his college debut. Pretty good. They've got a top 15 draft prospect playing left field. His name's Ethan Wilson. Really good hitter who Leiter faced three times through. Leiter faced 16 batters. This is his college debut. 16 batters, 12 strikeouts, one walk, no hits. First college start. So he was ready from the get-go. He's smaller than both Rocker and his father, Al, who people think of. Al was a lefty pitcher. Jack's a righty pitcher. So he's not really like his dad that much, but he is very much the son of a major league player in terms of his maturity, how finely tuned he is. His mechanics are great. His legs are like tree trunks, especially for not being a super tall dude. I think they list him at 6'1", 6'2". He's not imposing. And he doesn't make me look small on camera, which most of the Vandy pitchers over time have. Um, he's got five pitches. He's got two fastballs, two breaking balls, and a changeup. He came into college with all of those. They weren't all game ready, but I think he's going to have them already this year. I think by the end of the year, the story will be Jack Leiter higher than Rocker. Rocker, lower floor, much higher ceiling. So I think Leiter is the guaranteed long-term successful big leaguer. And I think Rocker is the potential best player in the majors, if that makes sense. So if you had the first overall pick, who would you take? Today, I would take Rocker. Okay. Um, that could be different in June. All right. Fair enough. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we are going to wrap things up with our pal Max here. We're going to ask him some other Vanderbilt-related questions. We're going to learn more about one of the best college baseball programs in the country. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. We are still joined by Max Herz of Vanderbilt. I don't even know. I mean, SEC Network, Vanderbilt baseball, basketball, women's basketball. He probably covers, you know, water polo, field hockey, chess, checkers, whatever you want to call it. He covers Vanderbilt sports. We just got done having a great conversation, not only about Kumar Rocker, but Jack Leiter as well, uh, to Great options for the Pirates to use that first overall pick on. Um, now we're going to talk about just Vanderbilt baseball in general as we wrap up the show. Uh, Max, you were around your early days, your freshman year. You actually you went into school with Brian Reynolds. You, you yep. were both freshman, and uh, I mean, you know, different career paths afterward. Both successful in your own right. Uh, but t- take us through what it was like watching Brian Reynolds play at the collegiate level. So Brian was not a big name coming into college. And this has also been well covered in Pittsburgh and even covered better in Pittsburgh than it was at Vanderbilt a lot of times just because there's so much more media. And a lot of the things I've seen written have done a great job um, of just covering Brian Reynolds' original story. But he's from really close to here. He's from like the Nashville equivalent of Mount Lebanon, basically from Brentwood High School, really great sports school that's 15 minutes south of here. And uh, he grew up as a Tennessee Vols fan, which Vandy fans don't really like, which is funny, but he ends up with a Vanderbilt baseball offer. He didn't have a ton of other high-level offers, and he comes. He impresses throughout the fall, throughout the early portions of the spring, which is really January before the season starts in February. And a true freshman starts the first game in left field, and it's not him. And he pinch hits and comes into that game, and then he starts every game the rest of the season and the rest of his college career that he's healthy for. So he just became an absolute force. I mean, he was all line drive contact from the beginning. His freshman year was the last year of the old baseballs, which were uh, 
not they were anti-offense. They were anti-fly baseballs with really high seams that they had put in to counteract the change of the metal bats, which was just a mistake offsetting a mistake. So his power went up a little bit after that. He was an unbelievable defender as the starting left fielder for the title team his freshman year in 2014. Made a crazy catch in the College World Series with like his feet sliding. Uh, just quiet, went about his work. Uh, very similar to J.J. Blade, who came a few years later and went top five overall in the draft. He was great. Switch hitter, always hit well from both sides. Power ended up going up. He played center field his sophomore and junior years, and I think he should play center field for the Pirates too. Uh, I think he's their best option there. But he was he was fun to watch and cover. Extremely like Southern, slow talker. I mean, you guys have heard him speak. The fans have heard him speak. Cole Tucker's impression of him is hilarious to me. The Vanderbilt uh, social media staff, when he was a sophomore, had him host a like fake late night talk show on YouTube called the Reynolds Rap Show. And he just hosts Amazing. it in his dry drawl humor. And they have other athletes on, and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, there's, one, there's one episode with Dansby Swanson, Walker Bueller, and Carson Fulmer that's really funny. There's an episode with two basketball players, both now in the NBA, Damian Jones and Luke Cornett, who are two of my really good friends, which is hilarious because all three of those guys are hilarious. Then there's one, the maybe the best one. That year, there were two freshmen on the Vandy women's basketball team who were identical twins yes. from Quebec. And uh, they both ended up leaving Vandy after one year, not because of the interview, I don't think. But uh, their names were Audrey Ann and Callie Ann Caron Goudreau. And obviously, English is not their native language. They had thick French accents. And uh, it was unbelievable. It's so funny. He, he goes, so where are your parents from? East Tennessee, West Tennessee, McMinnville <laughs> area. And they, like, they did not know what to do. It was so funny. Really funny dude. Uh, was not always crazy about being interviewed. So I tried to help him with that as best I could. I did get to see him play um, for the Pirates in a couple of home games last year, which was so awesome. And, of course, with the extra netting that's gone up by the dugout and just the natural kids who should be down there getting autographs, I wasn't going to try and talk to him in a home game. But I actually was out west when the Pirates were in Anaheim last year, and our seats were by the warm-up spot, and I was down there, and he, like, he saw me before I tried to get his attention while they were playing catch because I didn't want to pull him out. Came over, said hi. Great to see him. He and his wife just had a baby. And I imagine they're back in Nashville for the offseason if they won't be soon. But uh, Brian is great. I'm so happy he's in Pittsburgh. And, uh, yeah, he should have been a first-round pick. I think his asking price caused him to drop a little. But, man, did the Pirates win that trade for one year of McCutcheon. Even if, even if Crick doesn't give you anything down the road, that was a great pickup. I, I'm going to also give a strong recommendation to the Reynolds rap. You can find it on, on YouTube. It's How am I not just now hearing about this? I, I posted this to – I discovered it whenever Carson Fulmer was claimed because they showed that clip. It is very much the Brian Reynolds take on, like, Eric Andre. And it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It's like Comedy Central late nighty, and it's just yeah. – there's a lot of silence, but it's really funny silence. Yes. And his catchphrase, like anytime someone gives an answer, whether it's a good or a bad answer, he looks at them and goes, interesting. And then yeah. just dead. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Wow. It, I, I would love for it to come back. The Pirates did something on social media called like Ask Brian, 
back in like March and April. It was only like two episodes long. And it, it was one of the funniest things any team has ever produced. Because and then I, the maybe I have a little more appreciation for it. Maybe I have a little more appreciation for, you know, trying to interview Brian. <laughs> and every, you kind of have to work around and, you know, to try to, all right, what's going to get the reaction? What's going to get the answer? Because the interesting is a very Brian Reynolds response. All right, Alex, you want to ask the final question here as we wrap up the show? Uh, I don't know if it should be final, but just a real quick one on, on Carson Fulmer. Like, you talked about former Pirates who, you know, went to Vanderbilt and current Pirates who went to Vanderbilt, and that's Carson Fulmer in both regards. Uh, obviously, this isn't the first-round draft pick that they saw here. Uh, is it just the drop in velocity, your mind, and why he hasn't really stunk or, or stuck anywhere in the majors? So supposedly his velocity and his stuff have both gone away, which is obviously concerning for anybody. The only time I saw him pitch – on TV this year was the game he pitched against the pirates for the tigers. And that game was like, it was like 18 to 10 when he came in. I think it was the ninth inning. It was some ridiculous game that I was watching at 11 o'clock at night on MLB TV. But yeah, he, uh, I, I think the goal all along as he got passed around between these waiver claim teams. And every time he went on waivers, a team early in the waiver order claimed him. So that's the promising part. To me, the not promising part is the Pirates, the first time they claimed him, seemingly had no designs to use him in a game at all, and he didn't pitch in a game. So I think what they wanted, and this is what the Orioles wanted too, but they, I guess, needed a roster spot during the last week and had to let him go. I guess everybody just wanted him on their offseason program and then wanted him in spring training, and the Pirates accomplished that by claiming him on the final Sunday of the year. I don't know exactly how the timing with the transaction rules works, but... I assume he has a 40-man spot, right? So he'll he'll get a chance. Maybe he doesn't. But, um, yeah, I think they just want him in spring training. I don't really know what happened. He, coming out of college, he was a reliever. He, he, he was the ace for Vanderbilt his last year and a half, but he was a major league reliever. The White Sox tried to make him a starter, which is ridiculous with all the young starters they had coming up at the same time. I don't think that was a good decision. I think he's a potential great reliever, but I also think it's the same type of situation as Chad Cool if he's healthy, which is this guy would be like this guy would be a great eighth, ninth inning guy, but the Pirates probably need him to start, and he's probably one of their three best starters. So we'll see what happens. I imagine, I hope he'll be given every chance possible to make the team. But uh, he's great. I mean, he Vanderbilt doesn't name captains per se, but he was a captain of the 2015 team for sure. Him and Dansby Swanson are, were best friends then. And uh, he's, it's, it's him, it's him or price right now for best pitcher in Vanderbilt history. Uh, they've only re- retired three numbers or three numbers aren't in circulation. It's Swanson price and Fulmer. So. Interesting. That's really interesting. I, cause, yeah. Oh, that pun intended. Wow. That's actually very ironic. I did not. I said that unironically. Calm down, Alex. Calm down. It wasn't that funny. Jeez, oh, it man. was I'm, funny. It you're was done. You're funny. muted. You're, all right. Mute Mike. Alex can't talk anymore. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the show. Uh, Max, tell us where you can find or tell everyone where they can find you on social media real quick. My Twitter is at Max Talks. Uh, Hopefully you can hear me soon, either broadcasting some bandy baseball fall exhibitions, which are supposedly coming in the next couple of weeks, 
and hopefully there will be a college baseball season. I imagine it will be shortened. Uh, I hope it will be pushed back, and I hope that's a permanent change. Uh, but I, I think it will look pretty similar to football right now, where it's going to be mostly or all conference games, just to be safe. But the season right now starts on Valentine's Day that weekend, which is ridiculously early. I think they should start mid-March and play the College World Series the last week of July instead of the last week of June. But, uh, yeah, hopefully I'll be doing that, and hopefully I will be at a game at PNC Park soon. This was the uh, the first the first year ever I did not go to a game at PNC Park. I moved to Pittsburgh when I was five years old in the summer of 2000, so it's the first year I haven't been to a Pirates game since 1999, and that was before I'd ever been in the city of Pittsburgh. So uh, I miss it. You guys do a great job. Pittsburgh remains the best city on the planet, and I hope to be back soon. Awesome, man. Thank you for coming on. Uh, all of our listeners, go give him a follow. Be sure to follow our company social media as well. If you haven't, hit that subscribe all button to our podcast content. We work hard to give it to you. Another week in the books, Alex. I still have you muted, so you get no final thoughts. I'm just kidding. It's unmuted. If you want to say anything, just go ahead and do it real quick. I'm still upset with you, though. Interesting. All right, cool. Good job. Uh, And leave a comment on the website or on our podcast platforms on what you thought of this episode or just in general. We'll see you next week here on the podcast to be named later. Everybody take care.